Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. In 2011, data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention showed that a little over 41,000 deaths in the U.S. came about by drug-involved overdoses. Just a decade later, that number rose dramatically, topping 106,000 deaths. In Missouri, more than 2,000 people died from drug-related deaths in 2021. Of them, about 70% involved a synthetic opioid. That's according to the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. The opioid epidemic is not showing significant signs of slowing here in 2023. That means access to and availability of naloxone, otherwise known as Narcan, is a public health priority. And our guests today can attest personally to the way having naloxone and knowing how to use it has saved people's lives. Joining me in studio to talk about that is John Gall, director of the Missouri Works Initiative Worker Wellness Program. Welcome back. Happy to be here. Thank you. And Nicole Dossi, executive director of Prevent Ed. Welcome back to you as well. Thank you. Now, Nicole, let's start with the basics here. What is naloxone and what does it do? It's a great question, and I think understanding what it is and what it's not is is a huge part of the battle, right? So Narcan is the nasal spray. It's the name brand version of basically a medication that can reverse an opioid overdose. Um, it doesn't make the person high. It doesn't really have any impact if you're given it and aren't suffering from an opioid overdose, but it's a nasal spray. Now, there's another version called called naloxone, and that's an intramuscular shot. Um, but most people are more comfortable with the na- the nasal spray Narcan. Okay. And when and by whom was Narcan initially used? So it's been used, John, you might know this actually, um, it's been used for some time um, there is much broader availability now, of course, and mm-hmm. I, I know we'll get into that with the, the FDA and, and you know their movement to make it broadly available. But um, with the painkiller epidemic that turned into a heroin epidemic that turned now into a fentanyl Fentanyl. epidemic. I mean, Narcan is something that we've been having, um, that we've been really pushing the power of for over a decade now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so it's something that isn't new, but it's gaining more widespread availability, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Now, John, what was the catalyst that led you to begin carrying Narcan, that spray, about two years ago? Well, it all started when uh, I retired about four years ago from the Carpenters Union. Um, there was a lot of work still left to be done in the space of mental health, uh, opioid awareness, as well as suicide prevention. And uh as Nicole just said, when we saw the transition from the heroin ec- epidemic into the fentanyl piece of it, uh, it was it was um, something that uh, I, I just kept hearing more and more about mm-hmm. and understood that um, I couldn't just talk about it, that I had to get into the trenches and learn it myself. Yeah. And so uh, one afternoon during COVID, um, 
I, uh, um, I guess it was probably about uh, three summers ago, mm-hmm. um, I had promised to take my wife Mary out to lunch. Okay. And then I looked at my calendar and said, oh, uh, I, got a, I got a training session with Prevent Ed on how to use Narcan. I said, uh, would you mind uh, sitting in uh, on it with me? Because who knows, maybe you'll need to use it someday. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how we, we, we sat in on it. And uh, Nicole and her gang uh, uh, supplied us uh, with uh, various boxes of it. And uh, we committed to carrying it on us. And so Mary always has it in her purse. Mm-hmm. I normally have on my purse and at least uh, you know near me um, in my backpack or something mm-hmm. like that. And how big is the is the spray? So this is uh, an example of it oh, right here. Oh, it's very small. Yes, it, it's it, uh, Mary can fit upwards of like three in her tiny clutch purse. Okay. And so that's what she you know that's that's part of the story here today. Right, right. So that story, the training that you received at Prevented with your wife when you were just planning to take her to lunch, <laughs> <laughs> um, it meant that you were ready and able to deal with a life-threatening situation in the literal sky. Um, John, give us an overview of what happened when you heard a mid-flight scream on a, a southwest plane in, in fall of yeah. 2022. Well, uh, somewhat of the backstory was that uh, uh, I've been flying business, you know, related issues for with Southwest for 40 years now. So when they issued uh, me on an early bird uh, ticket, they issued me B44 and 45. I was like, something's wrong here, okay. you know? So anyway, uh, I went up to the ticket counter and said, no, that's right. So we were in the back two thirds of the plane. And honestly, Elaine, there was a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 45 minutes into the air, there was this scream, and it was the aisle right across from us, you know, the seats in the aisle right across from us. And uh, so flight attendants, you know, converged on that spot and said, do we have any first responders? And I was right there. I was one seat away. So mm-hmm. I jumped up and said, yeah, this, we need help. So I, I, you know, grabbed a young man from underneath his arms. Another uh, gentleman came up, grabbed his feet, and we pulled him back into the galley and laid him down. Mm-hmm. And then we started the process from there. Um, and it was more than, you know, a direct issue. It was, yeah. There was a lot of give and take in the process. Mm-hmm. Now, was your response in that situation almost instantaneous, John, or did you have any apprehension about doing something? Uh, I had no apprehension because the person was hanging halfway out in the aisle. Um, he had beads of sweat on his forehead. He had uh, vomit on the side of his face. He was totally passed out. Uh, as a matter of fact, I didn't get 10 feet down the aisle when I yelled out to my Mary. I said, throw me in the Narcan. And so oh. she took her purse out and did that. Okay. And was that because you had seen previously people who had been in that condition before? I had the training, and I saw enough uh, footage uh, of other people being in that predicament that I didn't want to get all the way in the back of the plane and not be prepared. Mm-hmm. And was there some special reason you had? I mean, you said that Mary had the Narcan in her purse. Was there some special reason she had it on that particular flight? Or No. No? No. Uh, I, I had it up in my backpack, but that was up in the luggage rack, so I knew she could get to it quicker mm-hmm. and throw it to me while I was still carrying this guy. Yeah. And so uh, that, was, that was the whole point there. Um, did I know it at that time? No. But uh, knowing what's going on around our world, uh, it, uh, it, it, it just made sense to bring it back there with me because I had no idea whether or not uh, Southwest, you know, supplied that in their first aid kit. Right, right. Now, we'll come back to that in, in a mm-hmm. moment. 
Nicole, John is someone that you've trained at Preventa to administer uh, Narcan, and he and your wife came to you because of the kind of work that they do um, as volunteers, too. In your view, who should be carrying either Narcan or Naloxone? It's the best question I've heard all day. (laughs) Everyone should be carrying it. Um, You know, John and Mary came to the training because they knew that we were having it. We've worked with John for years. Um, We offer the trainings free of charge. And we're talking about trainings and people are probably like, ooh, that's a lot of time. I don't have that time commitment. If you don't have an hour or two, sometimes we go really in depth and talk about substance use disorder and really the mechanisms of how opioids work and how Narcan combats it on the brain with the receptors and all that. We don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll have a loved one come in and just pop into our office and say, I'm concerned about my fill in the blank. Can you teach me how to use Narcan in case I need it? And we can do a literal 10 minutes. Here are the signs. Here's what you're looking for. Here's how to administer it. You need to do CPR in between the doses because each box Mm -hmm. carries two doses. So you'll put one up your nose. Mm -hmm. You should be doing CPR this whole time. If they come back, great. Odds are they probably will not right away. So you're going to give it a couple minutes and put the other spray, the other dose up their Mm -hmm. nostril. Okay. Now, hopefully you will have called 911. Who should carry it? Everyone. I have it in my purse. Many times we hear people say, oh, I don't need that. I don't know anyone that uses drugs. Hmm. We all know somebody, but guess what? We all fly on planes. We all go to the grocery store. We all are at a park. The time I had to use it, I was at the farmer's market for Pete's sakes. Oh, okay. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, what would you say to those who might be hesitant to yeah. carry naloxone, you know, particularly with people who are concerned about the possibility of jumping into an emergency responder type of role? Well, there's a couple of reasons why people don't want it, right? Number one, they don't think that it will ever happen to them. Number two, they think that there's some sort of liability, right? That if, if as John, you know, if he gave it to this man on the plane and heavens to Betsy, like maybe he didn't need it or maybe the man woke up very combative, like does that pose any sort of liability to John? Mm-hmm. The answer is no. But there's also some people who are scared of coming near someone Mm -hmm. who has had an overdose because of misinformation about what, how fentanyl and heroin is like spread. Yeah. And so people don't want to get close to someone for fear, not of COVID anymore. That Mm -hmm. that was a fear during COVID. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to get COVID. Now it's. I don't want to get exposed to that fentanyl, and I don't want anything to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Short answer is, that's all myths. Yeah, it will not. You you will not get anything by touching someone, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And what would I say if you're John and you have the chance to save a life, a human being? Why would you not do that? Yeah. If you had access to an EpiPen. Would you hesitate? If you had access to a defibrillator, would you hesitate? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Right. We're talking about the overdose reversal medication, naloxone, uh, and then the, the spray version, Narcan, with Nicole Dossie, Executive Director of Prevent Ed, and John Gall, Director of the Missouri Works Initiative Worker Wellness Program. Um, John, you were retelling the story about um, saving someone on a plane. 
And you didn't stop at that. You also wrote a letter to the CEO of Southwest urging him to put Narcan on its flights. And that happens to be something other airlines, including American, United, and Delta, started doing in 2019. And again, the thing that happened with you was in October of 2022. How did Southwest respond to your letter at that time? Well, sadly, um, the response was uh, less than what I had hoped for. Um, I had basically uh, explained the situation, and my my request of them was, you know, number one, please start carrying Narcan on your flights, and number two, train your crews to use it, because this did happen. And their response basically was, thanks for being a good Samaritan. Here's a $150 coupon for your next mm, flight. Okay. Um, and so, you know, sadly, um, I didn't stop there. I, I reached out to... Uh, uh, Tony Messenger at the Slant was Post Dispatch, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, you know. So he he wrote a really <laughs> nice article, right. and uh, people started calling me, say, "What can I do?" And so you know, uh, I've I've asked them to obviously write uh, uh, CEO Bob at uh, at Southwest, <laughs> uh, and as well as uh, the FAA, as well as the Department of Transportation. Um, I've actually written. Um, uh, our U.S. Senators, um, Hawley and, and, and Schmidt, n- nothing in return. I, I do want to give a shout-out to U.S. Uh, Rep. Uh, Ann Wagner, my area. At least she did respond. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, again, I, 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 I think this is one of those issues that uh, if we do not take action, more and more people are going to die. Who's, who knows who else might have had Narcan on that flight? You know, one thing that, you know, getting into the details here, the gentleman who helped me carry that other young man back there, Mm -hmm. it came to be that he was an ER doctor. Right, right. Mm. You know, so uh, he actually asked me, why are you carrying that? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right? And I said, because of this right here. And I said, you know, I wasn't waiting any longer because there was a lot of back and forth between myself the ER doctor and the captain, and the captain had to kept calling, uh, uh, kept calling uh, headquarters to get permission to do this and that. And eventually, uh, we we you know we got one of the flashlights from uh, you know from one of the flight attendants' cell phones, and and I said I'm going to check his eye, and I looked, and his pupil was the size of a period at the end of the sentence. Mm. So I looked at that ER doc, and I said, you know what, this young We're man going. is in, yeah, he's yeah. in opioid overdose. He said, are you a doctor? I said, yeah, but not that kind of doctor. <laughs> he said, and then that's when he said, why are you carrying Narcan? I said, this right here. Right, I said, I'm right. going to shoot him with it. And so that's that's what happened in three so, minutes. So right place, right time with the right uh, training and equipment. Right. Now, we did reach out to Southwest Airlines, and their spokesperson told us that, quote, Southwest aircrafts are outfitted with a comprehensive medical kit that includes prescription medication, over-the-counter medications, and basic first aid supplies. Our medical kits adhere to all FAA regulations. Naloxone is not currently on the list of FAA-required provisions, but we continue to review our policies, procedures, training, and medical kits in consultation with medical professionals to appropriate 
appropriately prepare our crews for in-flight medical emergencies. And that representative from Southwest adds, our flight crews are trained to respond to certain situations, render basic first aid, and depending on the scenario, <clears throat> request uh, assistance from our on-the-ground medical consultant or any medical professionals that may be on board. I mean, John, what do you make of that <laughs> response? It's a lot it's, of words. <laughs> it sounds like a cut and paste from what they sent me. You know, yeah. the bottom line is is um, I was thankful that uh, the ER doc was there. You know, he checked the young man three different times in a five-minute time span, no breathing, uh, no pulse. And, you know, when we shot him with the Narcan, we put the oxygen mask on and roll him in the, uh, on his side in the rescue position. Within three minutes, he had come back to life. Yeah. So uh, this is – that it cemented in my mind why we call this the Lazarus drug. Yeah. I saw someone come back to life. Mm-hmm. Now, Nicole, how has the FDA's approval of over-the-counter naloxone affected your work? It's a great step. And most of the people that we're giving Narcan to – are either A, lacking insurance, and they're not going to go into CVS or Walgreens and pay the $30 copay, Mm -hmm. or B, there's such shame and stigma that surrounds this that the last thing that they're going to do, because either they're struggling or their loved one is struggling, is they're not going to go into a pharmacy and say, oh, hey, I think I need Narcan. Mm -hmm. So while it is an amazing step to allow more availability, it has done nothing for our work because where we're giving it out are general public um, and also really high, I'll say high risk, but it's really high need communities. Mm -hmm. We're also giving it out to a lot of schools. So last year, um, all of 2022, we gave out about 4,200 boxes of Narcan. Once schools caught wind, that high schools in particular, caught wind that they could be requesting it from us. In February of 23 alone, we distributed 1,100 boxes. Wow. So it is a tool, and I'm not going to, you know, downplay any tools because it takes all different things and approaches to combat this. But the people most in need, it's not impacting um, because of cost and because of the shame and stigma. Yeah. No, there has been a movement that's gaining traction to get the FAA to put naloxone as well as other items into the emergency kits, and FAA is now considering it. John, do you think that this indicates that we as a general public, because the FAA is like maybe starting to move on this, that we've reached a critical mass in terms of awareness, especially a level of awareness that outweighs some of the stigma around opioid misuse? I think we're we're getting to that tipping point, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe that... Uh, Knowing that uh, uh, people have now been saved, yes. um, and it wasn't the crews that stepped in and helped. Yeah. You know that, that this is showing that there's a definite need, and and it's time to take action. And all, I, if I can add, I don't know anyone that hasn't had somebody impacted by fentanyl, heroin, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. Yeah. I've raised yeah. my hand here. I mean, maybe they don't talk about it, yeah. but they've been impacted. Mm-hmm. And not only is this there, there's this groundswell of the FAA, but there's 
people setting up these mini Narcan libraries. There's one on Cherokee. You know, there's Nalox boxes that are all around. There's Narcan vending machines. These, of course, could be more broadly available. But people are taking matters into their own hands and saying, like, this is crazy. Like, we need to help each other out here. Well, I've got to tell you, um, since 2016, five of my dear friends have lost sons in the 24 to 36-year-old range. And uh, I'm not going to stand on the sideline idly by. I'm going to take action. Nicole, in, in just a sentence here, have you found that people are able to talk more openly than they were about a decade ago? We're getting there. Yeah. Nicole Dossie is executive director of Prevent Ed, and John Gall is director of the Misery Works Initiative Worker Wellness Program. Thank you both for being back on the show again today. Thanks, Elaine. You're very welcome. Thank you. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.